Hi, everyone. This is Anne. We're making today's full episode totally free for everyone. You'll get the bonus segment, the Ask Anne Anything, and a very fun set of show notes that should send you down a real rabbit hole or memory lane, depending on when you were born. If you want to join the ranks of paid subscribers so you always get the full episode, head to culturestudypod.substack.com. Okay, on with the show. Okay, I'm sending the chat, and I've watched this many times, so I'm mostly like just eager to watch your reaction. So whenever you are ready. I'm watching the okay. film. Film is a great way to put it. And if you can describe it for <laughs> us is... as you're watching it, that would be amazing. Okay, it's like a, a crude animation of a bathroom. A men's bathroom because they're urinals and inside the urinals are a man's face singing a song, popping out of the urinal, singing together. Now we're on the street. There's a giant toilet. <laughs> There's so many toilets. Sort of looming over the city, right, flanked by smaller toilets, all with the man's head inside of it. Oh my god, it's it's like it's getting progressively stranger. The the faces are sort of uh, melting. The toilet is getting bigger. Every time the big toilet comes in, there's this song, Skibbity, Skibbity. Can you tell us what song this is that's in the background? Um, I don't know. I don't know the song. Skibbity Bop, Yes, Yes. <laughs> Hold on. Let me, is let me... it, should I be familiar with that? It's a Nelly Furtado song. Oh, yeah. Wait, it is. <laughs> oh, that's wild. I haven't heard that in a long time. This is the Culture Study Podcast, and I'm Anne Helen Peterson. And I'm musicologist Nate Sloan, co-host of the podcast Switched on Pop. This is a YouTube collection of 67 uh-huh. skibbity toilet clips. This was sent to me by several parents who told me when I was trying to figure out, okay, like what songs are you hearing from the early 2000s that are resurging? And they're like, my kids listen to this all the time. Because of the skibbity toilet video. <laughs> a sentence you never thought you would utter. I know. <laughs> and so, like, if you have a, if you're a parent or if you have a fifth grade boy in your life, they have absolutely yeah. seen skibbity toilet. This is how <laughs> this particular song, this particular Timberland song featuring Nelly Furtado, has mm. entered the cultural vernacular again. It's so, Something that you and I, I hadn't seen this video until like until a parent sent it to me. Had you ever seen Skibbity yeah. Toilet before? <laughs> no, I've never seen Skibbity Toilet. But so what we're going to do. will never be the same. <laughs> this is our, our very weird way of trying to figure yeah. out all of the different ways, because I think there's not just one explanation, all of the different explanations for why there is music from the 2000s in particular that is resurging right now. So you were the person that came immediately to mind when I decided I wanted to do this show. And part of the reason I wanted to do this show was because I watched a whole lot of Rush Talk videos for my reporting on Rush Talk. And the Rush Talk, like the, this, the dances that all of these 17 through 21-year-olds were doing, mm, so many talk, of them okay. were songs from my college and post-college years. And I am a huge fan of your show. And I was like... The only person who can be like really smart about this and not just say like, oh, music comes back again mm-hmm. would be you. So 
Can you describe for me what the sound of the 2000s is broadly? This is like such a big question, but if you, anything comes to mind. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right because it is, pop music is always so diverse, but there are certain trends in the early 2000s you can detect, and a lot of them have to do with changing technology. Music is becoming more digital. It's becoming more synthesized, more processed, more manipulated. And some of these ways can be very apparent. You know, it's it, it's it's right in 1999, so just on the cusp of the millennium that we get a song like Cher's Believe, yes. which is attributed to be the first use of conspicuous autotune on, on a track. And as we move into the 2000s, we hear that effect more and more. We hear voices that are chopped and processed and sped up and slowed down. We have whole songs that have been created inside a computer. Inside the box is the is the parlance of, of the music producer. So everything from the drums up to the, the guitars have been you know, completely digitally synthesized. And th- that that becomes, I think, a, a hallmark of that sound, especially because it contrasts to the more rock-oriented, organic sound of the 1990s mm, yeah. when artists like Nirvana and Alanis Morissette were really highlighting these classic instrumental combos of drums, bass, and guitar and very powerful naked vocals so so that's that's part of the sound is this more kind of digital texture and then i think there's also a move towards more kind of anodyne uh i'm not saying this in a negative way but but more uh universal sort of simplistic lyrics Mm. in in pop songs if if music in the 1990s like some of those artists we were just talking about dealt with social ennui and female empowerment and engaged to some degree with issues that were happening in the world. Music in the 2000s kind of turned inward and was really about let's dance, let's love, let's have a good time. It was it was a, a, a little a, a little less engaged with with the wider world, I would say. So so if I had to boil it down to two things, Musically, I would say more digital. Lyrically, I would say a little bit more hermetic and sort of uh, hedonistic, maybe. One song that is resurgent right now comes to mind, which is 50 Cent's Candy Shop, which does not have a ton of message (laughs) other than like, this is the candy shop, which has, you know, connotations, but not necessarily like a, a deeper, a deeper message. How much of the sound, too, is the sound of Timbaland, like, as a producer? Mm. It's absolutely the sound of Timbaland. It's the sound of the Neptunes, mm, yeah. the duo made up of Pharrell Williams and, and Chad Hugo. It's the sound of other R&B hip-hop producers like uh, The Dream, who, who who worked with, and Tricky Stewart, who worked with Destiny's Child in the early 2000s. And, and of course, what these all have in common is this is a resurgence of black musical style, of hip hop, of R&B, really starting to surge onto the charts, which, which is nothing new, obviously, in the history of popular music. But it, it is kind of the beginning of a takeover that will unfurl over the next decade and, and a half 
in, in which hip hop really becomes the most dominant commercial genre in the pop music landscape. So we, we do see the seeds of that being sown in the early 2000s as well. Yeah. When you think of like quintessential 2000s songs, you know, we've talked about some of the style, yeah. but what are songs that come to mind for you? Okay, for me, the first song I think of is Hey Ya yeah. by Outkast. Yeah. This is a song that came out in 2003. It was the first song to uh, go platinum, I believe, on the iTunes platform, which was brand new. Right. So to me, it, it it sort of represents this this technological shift in terms of music consumption that's happening. It is a song that, well, it's funny because it does meet that criteria I was talking about earlier. It, on the surface, it seems very happy-go-lucky. And today, I think it's a very common song to hear at like weddings and mm -hmm. parties. But but actually, underneath the surface, there's a little darkness to the song. Yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. <laughs> what else? Oops, I Did It Again by mm, Britney Spears, right. uh, which came out right at 2000, a Y2K yep. uh, classic. I love this song because I feel like not only is it so definitive of its time, but it, it, it's uh, Britney Spears has had a, a reappraisal in the last five years and so much of the sort of criticism and dismissal that she met when she arrived on the scene has now changed to a, a certain level of respect and, and understanding of, of just how musically gifted and innovative she was. The other ones that I think of, there's two, and both of these sure. are also resurgent too, is um, Michelle Branch's, uh, I don't even know the name of the song. It's just make them like, -na 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 -na, that one. That's right? um, Vanessa Carlton, I, I That's believe. Vanessa Carlton. No, it's a, Michelle. A, a Thousand Miles. They, <laughs> yes. I, I, I also got them confused <laughs> at that time. So you're not, you're not alone. And, and then the other one is Eminem. Just generally Eminem. Just generally like Eminem. Early Eminem. Yeah, yeah. My name is yeah the real Slim Shady. Yeah, another artist who who was so controversial when oh my he gosh. came out, <laughs> yes. and now is almost like uh like, a like dad. an elder statesman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what a what a transformation. <laughs> I can't believe that I didn't get that that was Vanessa Carlton. I have melodies in the the chat of our. Of this podcast, being like, <laughs> how dare you? I don't think you're the first to to make that mistake. In in your defense, so part of this like resurgence is something that I am personally feeling and like want to talk about, right? And mm. so that's kind of why I have a podcast. It's like, oh, I I noticed something and I want to talk about it. Yeah. But then there is also some evidence that this is happening from people who are parents who see it happening with their kids and yeah. and um, people that like teachers have told me that this is what like kids are requesting in the music uh, in their classroom, right? Yeah. But then there is a playlist, Melody found this yesterday. It's called the All Out 2000s playlist that is, it's on Spotify and it's the eighth most popular on the app. 10 million followers. Really? Wow. Yeah, I know. But I mean, I don't need to list like, to listen to it to know exactly what's going to be on it right. and it's also familiar to me that even when i hear this like i hear it on the radio and i think of it as like oh that top 40 station is playing something kind of older without thinking like oh they're actually playing something that's like 20 years old which is yes. interesting in and of yeah. itself right like yeah. playing early rihanna interesting for a top radio station to do and I also want to situate this in terms of like, I know that younger audiences always rediscover 
the music of their parents' generation or their grandparents' generation. Like, this would be akin to me listening to Melody suggested, like, Donna Summers and the Bee Gees. Uh And I didn't listen to Donna Summers or the Bee Gees, but I did listen to a ton of Simon and Garfunkel, Mm -hmm. which my parents thought was pretty weird that I was doing. (laughs) Specifically, specifically I listened to the concert in Central Park, which is, like, not even the best, you know, Simon and Garfunkel. Like, everyone's voice cracks, like, 17 times. (laughs) But it's a great way to, like, really be immersed in Simon and Garfunkel. And then I listened to, like, a lot of Joni Mitchell and that sort of thing. Did you listen to stuff that was older when you were a, a teen? I did. I did. I, I, I was always felt a little apart from my peers and that I, I gravitated less towards what was being played on Z100 and, and more like you're describing to the records that I found in my in my parents uh, collection. So yeah. I, I was really into into jazz, Sonny Rollins and Dizzy Gillespie. And I was into classic rock like cream and Jimi hendrix yep yeah and totally. uh and even some more I- embarrassing things like frank zappa which which um you know made me feel very very isolated uh but <laughs> i feel like a lot of teens get really into frank zappa <laughs> i think it is a rite of passage or peter frampton that's like my partner got really I, into peter Frampton. that's funny I, I i didn't have my own frampton journey but i i, I definitely know others who have yeah <laughs> well it's a way to distinguish yourself too that isn't necessarily like delving deep into like indie or avant-garde stuff. You're like, I'm cool because I listen to like Sam Cooke or something, right? Which isn't yeah. like, like this is popular, popular music, but seems unpopular or interesting when all of your peers are listening to Z100, as you said. I think so. I think there was perhaps more of a sort of binary too between mainstream and not mainstream that is that is less that is more sort of opaque today it's it's a little bit more inchoate like what is mainstream and what is not and and who what are you what are you supposed to be listening to versus what what is your own taste and yep but yeah but all to say i was i was not listening to pop radio when i was growing up (laughs) did you like any pop music uh I, I did. I mean, so I was more of a, a 90s kid. That was my yeah. decade. And I loved, I, I liked the weird songs that would come on and, and make it to the top of the charts. Do you remember, do you remember a song called How Bizarre by OMC? <laughs> yes, obviously. That was my, that was my jam. I loved that track. Um, I really, I was really into Seal, Kiss from a Rose. That was a... Uh, well, I know this because of the facet, like... This is something that you've talked about a lot, which is a beautiful song. I, yes, right? I can't, I got to interview Seal earlier yes. this year. It was such a such a full circle moment for me, and he was so <laughs> smart and gracious, and surprisingly willing to talk at length about a song that he's probably really sick of talking about. But uh-huh. uh, but yeah, that's what that was one of my favorites from that from my childhood. That was Probably on the radio from, you know. from the Batman soundtrack. Like amazing. Yes. <laughs> soundtrack this is something we could talk about forever like the way that music popped up on soundtracks and how mm-hmm. we discovered it that way in fact one of the songs that i loved that my parents were like what is wrong with you is uh there was a reggae band that covered baby i love your way for the reality bites soundtrack i i think i know i don't know the band but i know exactly the version you're talking about yeah yeah, yeah. i mean you can yeah. still hear it on like you know bob fm or something yeah. um but that's like there was that resurgence vis-a-vis like random covers in that way. Okay. 
Listener questions for this episode. We're doing this a little bit different because mm-hmm. basically listeners have written in with different theories, <laughs> their own yeah. theories, yeah. about why we're hearing music from the 2000s right now. So we're going to listen to them, talk about the theory, and then we'll come up hopefully at the end with maybe like an overarching theory. Does that sound good? Excellent. I think it's a great plan. All right. So our first question slash theory comes from Lauren. So I teach art classes after school and at summer camps to kids ranging from age six to 13 or so. And sometimes I let them choose the music that we listen to while we're working. And I'm utterly perplexed. Why are these kids listening to the same White Stripes, Coldplay, Linkin Park, or Eminem songs that were in heavy rotation when I was in college? At first, I assumed it was their parents doing, that they were just listening to the same music that their parents liked. But a lot of these kids tell me that their parents don't share their tastes in early aughts music. So is it millennials at work programming Apple Music and Spotify? What gives? So first of all, I just love the idea of like a parent who's really into Linkin Park and like passing the love of Linkin Park down to their kids. <laughs> it's, I'm just positive that that is happening somewhere. But oh, certainly. If, if the kids aren't getting their music from their parents, where do you think they're getting yeah. it? This is such a riddle. I'm so glad Lauren wrote, wrote in because I, I have kids, but my, my kids are like three and, and six months old. So they don't have their own music tastes right now. And I was pretty shook when I heard Lauren's reporting from, from the field because this is, this is kind of mysterious to me. My first theorem is that uh, I wonder if each of these specific songs has found a, a foothold in the consciousness of of a preteen somehow. I'm I'm not totally ready to ascribe this to a sort of generational music and an interest in music from a certain period in time. I I would be curious to to trace some of those specific songs. Yeah. For instance, you know, the White Stripes, if we're talking about Seven Nation Army, that is a song that you would hear if you ever go to a sports game, it'll be chanted by the fans it'll be something you hear when you're you, i don't know maybe out like at a at a skate rink or something <laughs> or, or i'm not whatever kids do these days um that is a song that is sort of canonic at this point yeah i think coldplay might occupy a similar role that some, some of these coldplay songs are like the equivalent of I don't know what what the Beatles were in in the yeah. '60s. They're just like part of the the musical ether, like Clocks or something like that. Exactly. Like they're not listening to Yellow. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, unless <laughs> maybe they're they very, are. I don't very know. emotionally deep uh, six year old maybe. Um, uh. Now Lincoln Park. That's that's a <laughs> that's that's vexing. What 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 is the story there? <laughs> well, this is where I think something like. Skibidi Toilet comes in handy because I think that the same way that I discovered songs through soundtracks to Mm -hmm. movies, their discovery apparatus is probably through reuse in video games, in YouTube memes like Skibidi Toilet, right? Like that are created by people our age. Mm. So the use of those might reflect the tastes of the creators. And then those get filtered down into the younger consumers. I, I find that compelling. And and I in in the course of doing our podcast, sometimes we will pose a similar question. Like, why is this song having a resurgence right now? 
the way that pop culture circulates through time and space is endlessly surprising and, and fascinating. And we'll talk about a song sometimes and and say, why is this popular? And people write in and they'll say, oh, my kids know that song because it was featured in Kids Bop. Yep. Or uh, we're re-watching The Office with our kids and at one point they make a reference to Lou Bega's Mambo Number no. 5 and now <laughs> they, that's all they want to listen to. And so I, I, I think you're, you're right that, you know, these, these songs for millennial creators, these songs occupy some kind of foundational knowledge and then they use those songs in their own videos and content and then that gets filtered down to a younger generation of listeners. That, that, that seems pretty compelling to me. I also think we can't discount how many of these songs are like used in the various jukebox style cartoons, animated features, mm. right? So like yeah. one of my friend's kids knows like all of these Queen songs, like just a lot of stuff. And it's all from, um, oh, it's like some cartoon that has like lots of animals in it that are performing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Someone's going to write in and be like, I've watched that movie 1,700 times. I know exactly what you're talking about. But sing, Melody says. It's sing. Sing. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. See, I've and so I think, sing. like, even if you really absorbed that when you were five or six, it sticks with you, right? Like, yeah. the songs I know from when I'm five or six, five or six was like all of the Little Mermaid soundtrack or all of the Aladdin soundtrack. And now instead of like these ballads written by Elton John specifically for The Lion King, it's their version of oldies redone and repackaged for them and they can listen to them whenever they want to. Oh, Trolls. Yes, Trolls. Yeah, Trolls, Minions, perhaps, Despicable Me. No, you're right. Movie soundtracks are such a powerful vector. And, you know, historically that's nothing new. I mean, the first ever rock and roll hit bill haley's rock around the clock in 1955 which changed the face of music forever really became popular because it was featured in a film and that was what essentially i i I think it's fair to say we wouldn't have had the rock revolution without the movie soundtrack that sparked that so this is like a tried and true way to sustained popular culture interest is to feature in a film yeah okay our next question this is like such a music nerdery question it's perfect for us so Mm. next question theory comes from chris who's citing a chuck klosterman theory of course Mm. right isn't the early 2000s thing just like chuck klosterman's theory on listening to old bands like the eagles like i don't like newfound glory but newfound glory sounds like a time when everything was fresh and exciting and weird in my life. And they were adjacent to the bands that I did like. So basically this theory is that we are nostalgic for like, I mean, personally, I am not nostalgic for the early 2000s. <laughs> but um, kids who weren't alive in the early 2000s are nostalgic for that time. And this fits with the theory that I have heard from Gen Zers mm. about why they like this particular type of music, which is that you can't dance to contemporary music very well, right? They're not fun yeah. to like do a dance to. Yeah. Whereas a lot of that music from the 2000s is like really fun to dance to. Well, I think I take some issue with that uh, because I, I do I do look around and find a lot of 
highly danceable music, including Dua Lipa's uh, true hit like "Levitating" or, or "Don't true. Don't Start Now," um, or you know, I don't know. Looking back over the last decade, Pharrell Williams' "Happy," Bruno Mars, Mark Ronson's "Uptown Funk," but yes. but perhaps in the aggregate, there there are less dance forward songs in, in of recent vintage. Uh, I, I find Chris's theory compelling. Yeah, that Chuck Klosterman writing about the Eagles and discovering that the hatred that he felt for that band has has mellowed over time and and <laughs> and uh, in his middle age, I guess, sort of stepping back and realizing and and, fi- and finding himself thinking, "Wow, I don't feel anything about this. I don't. Where did all that ire go? <laughs> I don't. I don't feel it anymore." And uh, and I think I, I can I can relate to that to that sentiment. In terms of the nostalgia of that period, it's it's interesting, right? On one hand, I, I could see having nostalgia like for the '80s or the '90s. Those those seem like very, um, yeah, you know, relatively sort of placid decades. Yeah, the the 2000s began with with 9/11 and then moved into an endless war and quickly followed by Hurricane Katrina. And I mean, I don't remember it as a particularly rosy time period but perhaps people who didn't live through it can look back and think well you know compared to what we're dealing with now that was that was so lovely you know what we we had to worry about y2k and you know like uh, like our internet speed like yeah your dial-up i i i I do i do imagine it seems very innocent in in a way in in comparison Social media didn't really didn't exist at that point, yep. and and that must have that must seem very Edenic in a, in a way or something. Even the idea of like CDs or Napster culture or like the idea that you couldn't have everything that you want at your fingertips. Yes, right. It was st- right. Physical media was still uh, the the dominant way that we experienced things, and you still went to the video store. Um, <sighs> so so yeah. So maybe there maybe there is a, a lot to be nostalgic for and. I can see that. I mean, it's interesting. There's, there's definitely a lot, or not a lot, but a, a few songs that explicitly reference that time period. Troy Sivan and uh, Charlie XCX had a song called 1999 that came out a few years ago. Oh, right. An artist named Anne Marie had a song called 2002 that, that also <laughs> came out a few years ago. So I do, I do think like Gen Z artists pine for that moment. And yeah. and and perhaps it is because compared to the contemporary landscape, it does seem sort of bucolic or something. Right. And who covers what's that cover of Blue that's on Top 40 Radio right now? Like, I feel that's, like that, uh, David Guetta, I, I believe. Is that David Guetta? Is he the one who does that? I was just thinking like that some of these covers are also from younger people who are like, I want to recover that musical feeling. Yeah. And put yeah. it into into a contemporary feeling, and I think that there is actually a hunger for a, an acoustic style almost mm-hmm. that is somewhat '90s too. And you see this; I've seen this on TikTok with yeah. younger people, women in particular, mm. talking about like discovering that Lilith Fair exists. Did oh, you wow. know there wow. was a festival in the late '90s, right? Like, and all of these artists toured, like. And there's part of me that's like, oh my God, I'm so old. Like, how do they yeah. not know about Lilith Fair? But then there's part of me too that thinks, what a joy to discover yeah. 
that yeah. this existed. I agree because I don't think there has been a lot of space for those kind of artists for Sarah McLachlan or uh, an Alanis Morris. I don't think she was part of Loath Fair, but but I'll, if it's okay, I'll yeah, group her we in can, there. We can loosely group um, her there. Those artists were critically and commercially successful, but for a long time, for, first of all, that, that acoustic sound that you were referring to and that that, that sort of more in-your-face, political, empowered, vulnerable kind of yeah. lyrical message didn't have a space on the Billboard Hot 100. I do sense that that might be changing with artists like... Billie Eilish. Billie Eilish, exactly. Olivia yeah. Rodrigo. Yeah, yeah. Um, Olivia Rodrigo, to me, like, I love her new album so much. It makes me feel like listening to... Fiona Apple for the first time or something, mm, right? Because yeah, it's yeah. musically complex and emotionally complex. And there's such a strong sense of authorship running through mm. it. Yes. That's kind of an exciting development to me uh, yeah. and does augur something hopeful for the future in terms of the culture having space for those voices. But I guess to return to Chris's initial question, I, I, I'm, I'm as we talk about it more, I am feeling more impressed by the power of of nostalgia and and realizing that it it doesn't have to be accurate you know that is that is nostalgia is exactly the sort of glossing over fine detail to to just selectively remember the things that you want to and 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 again probably the things that specifically stand out in contrast to this modern moment so so those kind of artists those kind of sounds those kind of dance oriented (laughs) grooves that maybe aren't as common today feel very uh, like a form of, of of escapism i think yeah you know i think too of how a lot of people approximately our age was very into like 60s culture in the 90s yes. right yeah and i can just imagine our parents being like you think that it was like all woodstock and like summer of love And my mom's like, what it actually was, was my brother and my dad fighting about the war constantly (laughs) at the dinner table, right? Like, (laughs) like that's there. I mean, that was in a time of incredible unrest that I think like is rivaled by, by our current moment. But that's not what in, when I was a teen, what I was trying to like evoke or what I was feeling when I listened to like, I don't know, Joan Baez. Right. And also I don't feel very, qualified to say this but i am vaguely aware that there's also a 2000s fashion renaissance happening oh there right is. now like oh, yeah. yeah again i'm not i i don't feel confident telling the audience exactly what that consists of but... i can talk to you about okay <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's basically everything that we were in high school and yeah. this is for women and for men to some extent but i think it's more vivid for women because women's fashion is just more like I don't know, visible, demonstrative, whatever. Um, All of those things are back. And that's down to like the fabric of the t-shirt, right? It's like velvet t-shirts to the cut of pants, right? And the type of boots, all of those things. And I think that what's difficult for people who are older to understand is like part of our reaction to those clothes is so incredibly invested in like how we felt at that age, Right. Right. So like I when I think of being a junior in high school, 
in wearing these clothes that I see all over, yeah. you know, whether it's in Urban Outfitters or they're just like on kids that I see, it doesn't make me feel like, wow, what a time of possibility, 1998, <laughs> right? Like it makes me feel like I felt bad about my body. I didn't know who liked yeah. me. I wish I could get asked to prom. Like all of these like incredibly, you know, banal and yeah. essential ways of feeling when you're that age. And so I think it's hard to disarticulate those emotions hmm. from that music. Yeah. In good yeah, ways and I bad think, ways, right? Yeah. So when I hear Tupac, like when I hear All Eyes on Me, I'm like, this, I loved the feeling that I had when I was listening to Tupac riding in the car, right? Yeah. Not saying the swears because like, <laughs> I, that was back when I didn't say swears. <laughs> Like, I would just pause and not say the swears. Totally, yeah. Um, but then there's some music that makes me feel like this is when you, no one would ask you to dance at, like, yeah, the totally. dance after the, the football game or whatever. Yeah, songs you'd rather forget. I, I definitely have a few of those <laughs> as well, yeah. What's a song you'd rather forget? <laughs> um, I Maybe, uh, like, Cotton Eye Joe comes to mind. <laughs> That 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 is a song that um, I just remember dreading coming on and and, and having do to like fake like yeah having to do a, a ter- like dance. yeah a horrible approximation of a line dance <laughs> with a, with a bunch of ten year olds it was um, yeah uh, one of mine used to be for complicated <laughs> reasons Return of the Mac but oh, since listening to 60 songs that explain the 90 the episode from uh, from that podcast on that that song i have an incredible appreciation for the song like i love that sort of like kiss from a rose actually yeah like i think it got so overplayed in the 90s that i was like i don't need to hear the seal song again but now that i understand musically everything that's going on with it it makes me (laughs) appreciate it so much more from a distance so do, do, are you telling me I have to go listen to Cotton Eye Joe until I... <laughs> I actually, that, that's actually a bad song. <laughs> <laughs> until I understand it's, it's hidden it's hidden wonders. I don't think there's any recuperation of, okay, of, I, of Cotton Eye Joe. I'm grateful. So our last theory is yeah. the same theory, but a little bit different. And I think we're going to have to put ourselves in a slightly different headspace here. So this comes from Michaela, and it's coming from the Gen Z perspective. I associate early 2000s music with the drive to elementary school and with middle school dances. Do you think it's becoming popular again because of Gen Z nostalgia as we come into adulthood? So this is like this is not us, right? Like we are in we are in late adulthood or mid adulthood, not late, mid adulthood. This is like we have to put ourselves back at like age 29. What did we like to listen to then? Like, did we have that feeling of nostalgia for the music that, that defined our teens and our tweens, that sort of thing? So this is something that I think would probably be, you know, more anecdotal, but I can relate to this. I I can't speak for Michaela, but I feel like a certain level of nostalgia for, for my own past was accelerated by the COVID-19 pandemic mm. and lockdown. And during that period, I sort of retreated a little bit from the modern world, I guess, and went into places of like maximum comfort, mm. which involved going 
and getting out my CD collection, you know, I had like two giant booklets oh, of yeah. double-sided plastic CD cases. I can, I can feel it in my hand right <laughs> yeah. now. It's so heavy. It's so it's just... heavy, yeah. <laughs> and going through and going, oh, I remember this album that I got and and going into my car because that's the only CD player I have at this point and putting it in and, and listening to it. And, and 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 that was true of other media too. I was like rewatching shows yeah. like Seinfeld and and The Office and things that I, I didn't want to watch anything new. I just wanted to watch the things that I I was already familiar with. So so I I think it's a natural reaction to want to recapture that feeling of lost childhood. And additionally, there's there's even a, a neurological explanation. There's a, a fusing that happens when your brain is developing and you're listening to music, those songs become really locked into your synaptic pathways really? in this way that, that lasts a long time. Yeah. That's not just like a story I tell myself about like why I listen to Sarah McLaughlin's fumbling towards ecstasy all the time still. That's, that's a very, yeah, you can, you can blame that on neuroscience. That, that song is, is in your, in your neurotransmitters and, Perhaps at someday when you're 112, you'll you'll still be able to to recall you know every every lyric of that song. Yeah. So because of this neurological connection, and perhaps for other people as well, this desire for like things that are familiar and comforting, I do see more and more reaching back into your personal musical past to to re- recreate some of those feelings of of joy and familiarity. I think that sometimes this is something that makes people feel bad because they're not seeking out the new. Mm. But I also, as someone who has, <laughs> so this past year I saw Natalie Merchant and it was like life-changing. Like wow, it was amazing. Really? Wow. Um, oh, I love that. So good. My best friend and I were front row and everyone else was 10 years older than us because it's like <laughs> all of these fans who were... Um, really 10,000 Maniacs fans. Gotcha. But she and I, we re- like we played all of like Natalie Merchant's Ophelia, Motherland, these kind of mid-career mm. albums of hers all the time in college. We were roommates and we had like, you know, a 50-disc changer, which a lot of people <laughs> <laughs> as like graduation gifts, you know, in high school. That was like a classic yeah. graduation gift was the yeah. <laughs> ridiculously numbered CD player. <laughs> and you'd be like, okay, put this on, put this, like this is the next yeah. one, right? And so those were like woven into our subconscious. And, mm-hmm. you know, I still listen to new music, but then there's something incredibly powerful about experiencing it in concert or just like, giving yourself space to listen to it again i think the other thing and this i maybe is true for gen z but i think it's particularly true for people around our age is that listening to an entire album can take you back to that time when like you put on music and you stared at the ceiling right yeah so like a different experience of music than how we often experience music now and maybe that's where the nostalgia is from too interesting where where music now is often happening in the background of some other activity. Yeah. It's it's being played on a crappy iPhone speaker or yes. like out of a pair of, of AirPods um, yes. that you can hear someone sitting next to you on the subway. Uh, that That's interesting. I, it makes me think of um, my wife, Whitney, always talks. She doesn't know the names of songs. She's like, oh, yeah, that's track five. 
100%. So that gets back to some of the technological shifts that we've been discussing and how they have changed our relationship with music. And and music has become less tactile and possessing less aura, maybe as 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 Walter Benjamin would would say. Wow, uh, even did the Benjamin like did it like didn't pronounce the J like wow. I am an academic, so I had to I had to drop <laughs> drop him in there. Um, I mean, so I I think that like where we're arriving. Is this interesting, complex, uh, not like, we have no forceful argument here. Like, this is a, a top-down thing, as in millennials are playing this music and it's somehow filtering down. But then it's also, I think, arriving somewhat organically from younger kids who are discovering this music. And like, as someone said to me, talking about how Heya is all over the place again, yeah. like, they said, like, a bop is a bop. Right? Like that that song is back yes. because that song is good. Yes, a bop is a bop. I think that was uh, Stravinsky who first <laughs> who first said that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any other overarching thoughts about this? No, I mean I do. I I hope no one listening is disappointed that I I we haven't arrived at a, a grand you know, theory. Yes, uh, uh, but but I think that speaks to uh, the 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 fascinating and unruly ways that music and other media and popular culture move through society that you can't really predict where a song will start and, and where it will end up. And hopefully there, there, I, there is some matrix of all these explanations that we've come up with that will be satisfying. But I find your, your, the bop is a bop uh, theory to be particularly strong. And that, and that's why I, I would be interested when, whenever you have a question about something larger happening go go to a single song and and trace it mm. you know songs songs are like whole they're like whole universes and they're like portals into different times and places and the way a song can be created and and in in its creation reference the past i mean let's yeah let's talk about hey ah for a second if if that i feel like that yeah. could be a great way to conclude this hey ah written by andre benjamin not benjamin was <laughs> A deliberate tribute to Aretha Franklin's Say a Little Prayer. It uses the same metric structure, the same rhythmic structure as that song. So that song is reaching back into the past, but then it's also looking forward to the future. It's a rapper singing. And that just that idea would 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 change the face of, of music as we know it. And every Drake and every yeah, other Drake singing is- rapper. <laughs> Has Andre three thousand to thank for that? Yep. And then what happens to the song after that? It's it's covered. It has a Obadiah Parker acoustic cover in the two thousands, which transforms it into this sort of plaintive folk song. Today, it's according to Spotify, it's like one of the top ten wedding songs for people, which again is kind of hilarious because it's a song about how no relationship is built to last and if you <laughs> think it is you're deluding yourself and i imagine this song will continue to be sampled and reinterpreted over time and some core part of its meaning will stay the same but but it also changed to adapt and, and reflect the tastes of the people who gravitate towards that song in that moment so songs are entire worlds and when you start to listen and and study a song, and and hear all of its sort of manifold meanings. Uh, it just it it can take you to so many different places, and 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 connect 
even the silliest song, even Cotton Eye Joe probably could connect to some powerful common core of humanity. So, <laughs> so that 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 feels like maybe hopefully that's a satisfying. A fu- that's a future <laughs> episode of Switched On Pop yeah. is you recuperating Cotton Eye Joe. Um, Noted. <laughs> but this we is- did. We actually. I, I'm remembering we did do something about it many many years ago. So maybe it's time to revisit that. So our last question is for our advice time segment. And normally this bonus content is only for paid subscribers, but we love this conversation so much that we wanted all of you to benefit from it. This question is nostalgia adjacent and Mm. it comes from Natalie. And I think it's absolutely in line with everything we've been talking about. How do I get out of a pop culture rut? I often find myself rewatching the same shows and movies, listening to the same songs on repeat, I'll even listen to the same podcast episodes multiple times. On one hand, the repetition is comforting, and I already know that I like that thing, so why not listen to it again? But on the other hand, there's so much out there that I want to have experienced, but sometimes it feels like a chore to start something new. What's the deal with that? Okay, so the first thing I'm going to say, Natalie, is I think you're burned out. (laughs) I think that this is a symptom of like having no energy to grapple with new Mm. things and like you and you by seeking out these things that are comforting like you are performing a kindness to yourself she is being kind to her brain by finding these things that like just feel like home they feel comfy and i don't think that there's anything wrong or shameful about that Mm. the same way that you were discussing like the things that you went to in the pandemic right like that's just a way that we cope with the world around us. So yeah, I don't think that that's anything to be shamed about, but I think that like trying to think about the fact that like maybe this has to do with other things in my life and not necessarily like me having no taste or anything like that. What do you hear when you hear this? I, I definitely relate to this. As, yeah, as I was saying earlier, this is something I, I felt especially acutely during the pandemic. And I, I, I'll, I'll give like three pieces of advice or answers for for Natalie and um the first i guess is you can start to branch out from the things you love by actually going deeper into them mm. and you mentioned earlier a podcast called 60 songs that explain the 90s by uh, i think Rob Harvilla is yep. is the the host of that and you could listen to um forgive me my our, our own podcast switched on pop and find and find episodes about songs you love. I think what's what's really cool is to take something that you love and understand it even deeper. Yeah. And you can do that by reading about it, by by listening to it. And and there's like what what I love about this moment is there's like more resources than ever. Like I was um, speaking of nostalgia, I, I was rediscovering one of my favorite songs from the late two thousands, combination. Pizza Hut and Taco Bell by Das Racist. I, I don't know if you're familiar with that yeah, one. And yeah. um, I'm at the Pizza Hut. I'm at the Taco Bell. I'm at the combination Pizza Hut and Taco <laughs> yes, Bell. I mean, it's a classic. It's so good. And I was like, what? What is this? What is this song? And I went online. And I was like, what is? You know, I don't know what I googled. What? How did combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell get made? And there's a whole article on Slate that's an oral history of the song, and they what? interview the members of the band, and they talk all about, it and they and they and they talk to the people who listen to it. And I'm like, what a moment we live in, where I can literally just go online and find this deep dive into a novelty song that you that you thought no one had ever thought of. And so, 
that's not getting you out of that rut necessarily, I guess, yeah. but it is like allowing you to understand and, and appreciate these things as, as not just something you love for no reason. Like the, these are, these are artistic objects and they have their own histories and stories. And it's fun to unpack those with, with other people who love them. I will say that the way I got into Switched on Pop was during the pandemic and the series on Britney Spears. It's like mm. a five part series, right? It's a like four big. part series. Yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, like I had seen it somewhere in a, a culture study thread about podcasts and recommendations yeah. for podcasts. And it just like, it absolutely beguiled me because like a lot of people was reappreciating Britney Spears at that time. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think that that's such a great idea. It's, it's not getting out of the rut, but it's expanding the rut, right? Yes. It's like making it more roomy. Like there's more yeah. room to, to figure out like your, your place in it. The other thing I would do is like, I don't know. It seems cheesy, but we used to do this all the time. Like, Ask your friends what they're listening to. Mm -hmm. That is probably the most tried and, and true method of music and, and other media discovery. Yeah. And uh, I will do exactly this. I'll just text a few trusted confidants and be like, what, what's, what's your favorite record right now? And invariably, that what, whatever answer they give becomes the, the thing that I become obsessed with for, for the next series of months. The uh, I I love that you said that, Anne. And and if I might be so emboldened, I could I could give some of the uh, the things that I'm listening to yeah, right now, please. Because there's something extraordinary about this moment where where there is so much to listen to. It can be overwhelming, but you can also find things that connect with the past in incredible ways. There's an artist right now named Leve. Uh, it's spelled L A U F E Y. She's a 24-year-old Icelandic Chinese jazz-inspired singer-songwriter, and you listen to her, and you you hear it, it sounds like it's something like a, a lost recording from 1952 that was just rediscovered with these lush orchestral strings and jazz harmonies, and and she's got this voice that feels very sort of old and weathered for her for her age. Uh, th this is an artist that you listen to, and you're like, oh. The future of music is is great. You know, we're we're in good hands. Yeah, it's not all doom and gloom and sped up hyper pop um, and 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 digital distortion. It's like there's there's the youths are also into the same classic music that 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 we were into growing up. And and an artist like Leve is a great example of that. There's also a band I've, I'm really liking right now called the Lemon Twigs, a set of brothers mm. who reference classic 70s and, and 60s uh, vocal pop and rock with really intricate double harmonies and 12-string Rickenbacker guitars. Feels like the Birds and the Beatles, if they were resurrected for a 21st century audience, they're, they're a lot of fun. And uh, I'll just give one more artist I really love right now, Anderson Anderson Pack, a drummer and vocalist who's collaborated with Bruno Mars in Silk Sonic. And he, I love him because he has so much veneration for music history. On his last album, he did a collaboration with Smokey Robinson, which was one of wow. my favorite tracks of, of, of recent years. So if you feel, I guess all to say, if you feel like, oh, there's nothing for me out there, I, I do think there is, it's, it's just a matter of, of finding it yeah and being like 
unembarrassed about asking for Rex, you know, not just texting, but you could put it on Instagram. You could be like, yeah. what are you listening to? Right. Yeah. Like, why do we have social media if we can't use it <laughs> in these ways? That's right. Uh, or like, I like these three bands. What What else would I like? Uh, yeah. My my two Rex, which are not nearly as as a cool as yours <laughs> are very, like if you are someone because i know that there are a lot of people who listen to this podcast who like me were like very into little fair like if you have not discovered yeah. boy genius yet like mm-hmm. they are there they will soothe yeah. all that ails you um and then the other like i got a really into kind of i don't like the designation alt country like but that style during the pandemic and one of the artists that has really stuck with me and that i think like feels like like you were saying like it feels very old feels very yeah. timeless but also feels very now is Coulter yeah. Wall who sounds like yeah he was born in 1920 like, totally, I totally yeah I don't really I lo- understand I, 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 <laughs> and yeah. he's he's actually like a cattle rancher in Alberta um who's in his 20s but <laughs> looks like again he looks like he was born in 1920 and he sounds like it uh but those are two of my my uh get out of your rut rex i love that i I heartily co-sign both of those those are yeah those are great picks and also just revisiting skibidi toilet like wow way to (laughs) way to bring it back to where it all began and i had almost successfully banished that from my no you gotta watch it now and then and now it's right back in there and will be haunting me for for weeks to come i think uh nate thank you so much for joining me can you remind all of our listeners where they can find you if they want to hear more from you Absolutely. Uh, you can listen to uh, my, the podcast that I host with songwriter Charlie Harding, Switched on Pop, anywhere you get podcasts or uh, on our website, switchedonpop.com. And uh, if you're uh, in living in the LA area and interested in going back to school, you can enroll at the University of Southern California, Thornton School of Music, and, and take some of my music history classes there. Oh my gosh. Uh, so Everyone do it. Audit the yeah. class. <laughs> It's great. Continuing education, lifelong learners. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Culture Study Podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts because we have so many great episodes in the works, like so many. <laughs> and I promise you don't want to miss any of them. If you want to suggest a topic, ask a question about the culture that surrounds you, or submit a question for our subscriber-only advice time segment, check the show notes for a link to our Substack. The full version of today's episode is free for everyone. So if you like what you've heard and you want to support the show, head to culturestudypod.substack.com. It's just five bucks a month or $50 a year. And you can also get a really good deal if you're already a subscriber to the newsletter. And you'll get ad-free episodes, an exclusive Ask Anne Anything segment, weekly discussion threads for each episode, and a link to a special Google form so that your questions go to the front of the line. It's like Disney Fast Pass, but for your weird questions about culture. And if you're already a paid subscriber, thank you so much. The Culture Study Podcast is produced by me, Anne Helen Peterson, and Melody Rowell. Our music is by Poddington Bear. You can find me on Instagram at Anne Helen Peterson, Melody at Melodious47, and the show at Culture Study Pod. 